you have greatness within you. You have the ability to do more than you can ever begin to imagine. See, I believe that anybody through observation and practice can perform at the level of excellence. But when you're pursuing your greatness, this is worth writing down, you don't know what your limits are and you act like you don't have any. So I say to you, you have something special. You have greatness within you. And welcome to Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Two Steps Ahead Podcast, highlighting the stuff that's been stepped in so you don't have to. I'm Son Edom, and on this show, we're going to be talking about uh, a few things. But the main focus, we're going to take a look at something that is uh, kind of affecting a lot of people. It starts in the political world, like most things, and then it goes into the rest of the world. And that is, uh, we're going to start with the voter ID law of Georgia, and then we're going to look at some... uh, Take a history trip, a trip through the history books. Take a look at Jim Crow laws and and what really happened during Reconstructionism up to the 1800s, 1860s, 1870s with Jim Crow. And, and where is it today? How are we dealing with it today? And is it really fair to contact people or tell people that a voter ID law is like Jim Crow? Is that really fair to the people that went through the Jim Crow law era? We're going to take a look at all that. And so the first thing I want to do is just set the table. And I'm not going to go too deep into the politics of it because I just want to focus on the historical aspects of things. And so quickly, let's just take a look at what, a, what the voter ID law in Georgia is all about. Now, don't just take my word for it, okay? I want you to do the research as well. So if you have something that you don't think is correct, well, check it out. Don't just rely on me to give you answers. So do your own research and see if the research that I had and came up with is the same that you come up with. And I suggest that we do this with blinders on maybe, blinding out what the rest of the world is trying to tell us so we can look at it from a neutral pair of eyes. And so real quick, obviously the Georgia election and especially the senatorial election, made a huge impact in politics for this last campaign, this last election. And with the two Senate votes going to the Democratic Party, you had a 50-50 split in the Senate, and that's where we sit today. And so there was a lot of slinging back and forth of accusations of voter fraud, not just in Georgia, but other areas. And so Georgia decided to kind of squeeze the bolts a little bit and tighten up their election laws. And so they came up with this voter ID law. And basically what it says, these are the facts that I was able to pull out from neutral sources. Again, this has nothing to do with the Fox. This has nothing to do with CNN, any of those type of sites. This is neutral reporting that I was able to kind of pull out. Okay. You can go to like, for example, the Georgia secretary of state website. Hopefully that's neutral and some other places, but First of all, they offered three weeks of early voting. So keep in mind that these are the laws or these are the things in the laws that people are saying are discriminatory towards minorities, people of color, the black community, especially since Georgia and Atlanta, Fulton County, is a huge uh, black population. And so it also disenfranchises the minority voter as well. So keep that in mind. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we've been hearing in the news. So the voter ID law has three weeks of early voting. It expands the hours the polls are open from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. 
I thought that was the case, but it specifies now that's 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. The polls are open. Two Saturdays prior to the election, the polls can be open. Sundays are optional, depending on the polling place. You must uh, show an ID. And then the law also bars volunteers from handing out food and water and other items to voters that are standing in line. But you can bring your own food. You can bring your own water. Okay, You just can't have other people handing out. It's election, uh, electioneering laws because they want to prevent people from campaigning while you're handing out stuff. Now, one of the things that was brought up as disenfranchising to minority voters was the fact that with the voter ID laws having to show an ID, people won't be able to vote because they don't have IDs. Apparently, much like remember when we learned that the Latino community couldn't operate a computer, a laptop. Remember that? Well, apparently people in Georgia, especially the black community, can't go to the DMV and get a license. But here's what I found. And again, I encourage you to do your own research. Georgia has approximately 11 million people in the state. I think LA County has 10. Put it in perspective. 97%, according to their information, according to the state of Georgia information, 97% of registered voters have an official ID, whether it's a driver's license or state ID. About 200,000 people in the state do not have an ID. However, Georgia does offer a free state ID, picture ID. All you have to do is obviously fill out some information, who you are, where to send it. Very simple. It's free. And so you can easily get a state ID card. Okay. So, 35 other states have a voter ID law similar to this, a little skewed depending on the state. But that is, in essence, the last two weeks what we've been hearing is uh, correlating to Jim Crow laws, correlating to discrimination, to white supremacy, to the KKK, and all these things. So much so that corporations such as Delta, such as Coca-Cola, such as Major League Baseball responded to it. Now, the CEO of Delta came out and said that uh, it was disenfranchising to minority voters to have to be able to show an ID to vote. Although I recently traveled on Delta, I traveled to Florida, and to get on the plane, I had to show my ID. So obviously, Delta and the CEO got cracked back upon by stating you have to show an ID on the plane, but not to vote. Now, keep in mind, I'm not going to fly Delta anytime soon, not because of their politics, Delta really needs to consider their product that they're having for their customers because when I was flying on Delta, I came across some of the rudest flight attendants there. During flight, I go to the back, and one of them is sacked out in the back row. Others are on their phone. Others are reading books. Now, I'm not one to have to sit there and be weighted on hand and foot. In fact, leave me alone. But remember when you get on the plane, they greet you. Then they might help you put your stuff in the overhead bin. They can't do that now anymore because of COVID. Remember when they used to take your drink order, pour you maybe a can of Coke, ginger ale, maybe an alcoholic beverage, if that was your choice? Can't do that now. What they do is they give you an oversized plastic sandwich bag with some Goldfinger snacks and a little mini bottle of water, and they toss that at you thinking you're a toddler at snack time in the romper room. And then before you can finish, they're running up and down the aisle trying to collect all the trash. They can get in the back and yuck it up or take a nap. So Delta, instead of worrying about laws, of which they benefit, such as tax exemptions and things like that, they should worry about customer service, in my opinion, first off. 
Okay. Coca-Cola, on the other hand, they said that, again, it was a bad thing. But however, in order to go to the stockholders meeting, you had to show your ID. Now, keep in mind, Coke was started by a uh, Confederate colonel. So they have roots in slavery and racism themselves. You can look it up. Pemberton was the guy's name. He was a slave owner, and he was a Confederate soldier colonel in the Confederate Army, in fact. And then, of course, you got Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball decided to pull the All-Star game out of Atlanta, move it to, of all places, Denver, Colorado. And, of course, they quickly got cracked back on because Denver has stricter voter ID laws than what this new Georgia law has. And these are all facts. You can look it up. I'm not putting any opinion in except for the Delta flight that I was on. So far, that's the only thing that I've opinionized. And so you have all this stuff going on over much to do about nothing. 35 other states have it. And there's nothing in here that represents any type of Jim Crow. And we're going to get to that in a minute, what Jim Crow actually was. Now, keep in mind, when you show an ID, you go on a plane, you have to show your ID. When you go to pick up your tickets at Will Call for Major League Baseball, shortly after denouncing this Georgia law, Major League Baseball sent out a message to people saying that if you want to pick up your tickets at Will Call, that's right, you have to show your ID. So you can see the hypocrisy that's building on. And remember the opening montage there, the greatness within you, the theme that's been running through 2021 so far, raising our standard, inspiring others, greatness within us, those type of things. How is this bringing out the greatness of society? How is this making us better. I mean, think about this country and what happened when it was founded. I mean, think about how the country was built up and the people that built it. You have big cities that were erected out of deserts. You have the Colorado River being diverted with the Hoover Dam. You have the infrastructure of trains being built. So you have this complete train infrastructure going on at a time when technology was probably at its rawest. We in California can't even get a train from nowhere to nowhere built. And we've spent oodles of money bankrupting the state practically to get a train maybe 100 miles built. So it goes to show you where we are. Back in those days, we could get stuff done. Here, we can't do anything because politicians and lobbyists and everybody else get involved. But here are the things that in order to show an ID, this is what you've got to do. Drink beer or get alcohol, you got to show your ID. If you're on welfare, you must have an ID. Social Security and Medicaid, ID. If you want to rent or buy a house, buy a cell phone, go to a casino, maybe play some craps, get prescriptions. If you want to donate blood, certain cold medicines require you to show an ID. How about this one? And I actually tried this. And I had to kind of do a couple things to figure this out. This was actually true. Buy nail polish at CVS. If you're of a certain age or if you look a certain age, you do have to show your ID to uh, get nail polish at CVS. Now, when I went to try to buy it, they just let me go because obviously I don't look or maybe I'm, I look old enough to do it. But I brought someone else in who was a little bit younger. Yeah, I had to show ID. I thought that was interesting. If you apply for a job, they ask, are you a citizen? Can you prove it? Can you show ID on those forms? If you want to adopt a pet, other various licenses, such as a hunting license or a fishing license. If you want to buy a gun, if you want to get married, you have to show some identification. If you want to 
bank, obviously to drive, and to hold rallies. You got to go down, get a permit if you want to hold a legal rally, and you have to show ID. So again, this whole concept of having to show ID to vote, having to stand in line, everyone said that was another thing that was going to disenfranchise voters, standing in line, not being able to have food or water. Well, obviously that was answered with the fact that you can bring your own stuff. But then Disneyland, I know Disneyland in Florida has been open and they're doing well. Disneyland in Anaheim, California is about to open. One of the stipulations for park goers, you have to stand in line. You can't eat or drink. Only eating and drinking will be done in designated areas. So people are going to go to Disneyland. And not only that, they're going to have to stand outside. And it's getting warm. It's getting warm in California. There's going to be plexiglass, apparently, that you're going to be standing through. So the breeze isn't really going to be there. But you're going to stand in line. You can't eat or drink because of COVID. And that's okay. But you have to get food and water to stand in line to vote. Again, it doesn't make sense. There's a lot of hypocrisy going on when it comes to some of this stuff. And yet, when you look at this and you compare it to the Jim Crow era, and Jim Crow laws, it, it makes you wonder, is it even fair to the people that went through that? So keep in mind, Major League Baseball pulled their all-star game out of Georgia, moved it to Colorado, Denver. That's fine. Do what they want. But their reasons are pretty hypocritical because, again, you have to show ID to get your tickets at will call. And they just recently um, re-upted a deal with a Chinese tech firm. Now, the Chinese tech firm is going to stream games throughout Asia. So, obviously, there's money, revenue involved for Major League Baseball. They have a Chinese player development camp over in China to develop players. So, they got that going for them. So, it comes down to money. It comes down to the love of money. And Major League Baseball would rather play politics and not worry about politics because we all know China has some of the worst human rights violations ever. You think of the movie stars that come out. Why would they come out? Speculating here a moment, AMC, where you go and see movies on the big screen. Although I don't really understand why anybody would want to go back to the movies anymore. You can just stream on demand from the comfort of your own home. But anyways, AMC is owned by China. So moving the all-star game is going to cost. And again, Biden was for this. Fact, not politics. He was for this. Encouraged it, maybe. Atlanta's going to lose out $100 million dollars. In a community that's mainly black, in a community that voted for Biden, voted for the Democrats, and yet in the end, they're going to lose out. All those businesses are going to lose out $100 million plus are the estimates. But why? You think about the China abuses going on. The Uyghur people. It's been going on for a couple of years, but they've been put in re-education camps. These are a group of Muslim minority people in western China. And we'll get to that in a minute, about what they've been going through. But before we get to that, in fact, you know what, let's just get to that, because I think it's important to set the table for what we're going to uh, talk about here in the next uh, kind of 20 minutes or so. But here you've got the Chinese Uyghur people that are being in re-education camps in China. And again, there are Muslim minority people in Western China. Now, this is a, a bit of a story from the uh, BBC, and the BBC has been following this a lot more than American media, obviously. And so they have a lot more information about it. But here is a report by the BBC that kind of gives us a little background. And this is the thing to note, okay? This is the thing to know. Keep in mind, 
We are disenfranchising people because we have to require them to show an ID to vote. They can't have somebody give them food while they're standing in line. These are reasons why we got Jim Crow laws going on, right? According to the political left, Major League Baseball. But Major League Baseball is going to be in bed with the Chinese government. Everything over there is run by the Chinese government. NBA, same thing. They, those players mouth off, and yet there's a huge relationship between China and the NBA. And again, it comes down to money. You can look it up. But here's what the Uyghur people are going through. And again, listen to why it is. What are the penalties? What are the, what are the crimes they're committing to be put in these camps? Now, documents uh, seen by the BBC appear to provide a detailed insight into how China handled hundreds of Muslims held in a network of internment camps. The information includes personal details of the Uyghur community who were placed in detention for reasons such as wearing a veil or applying for a passport or accidentally visiting foreign internet sites. Critics say that the documents are evidence of a campaign by the Chinese authorities against the Uyghurs, whose home is in the far western Xinjiang region. But China has always denied any form of religious discrimination. Our diplomatic correspondent James Landale has the story. For two years now, the BBC's reported on camps like these in western China, where about a million Uyghurs and other Muslim minorities have been detained without trial. China says the Uyghurs held here learn Chinese and Communist Party doctrine as part of an attempt to combat extremism and terrorism. But a leaked document seen by the BBC suggests these camps are part of a comprehensive crackdown on religious practice. Across 137 pages, the spreadsheet sets out in huge detail why more than 300 Uyghurs from one particular county in Xinjiang province were considered for detention. Some were detained because they had applied for a passport, they had relatives abroad or had unintentionally landed on a foreign website while searching the internet. Others were detained because they used to grow a long beard or used to wear a veil or because they had a minor religious infection. Some were guilty of violations of birth control policies or simply being an untrustworthy person. So there you have it, the crimes that China is accusing these people of, radical crimes, growing a beard. I wonder if I'd be in a re-education camp wearing a veil, which is part of their religious custom, accidentally going on to the wrong website, asking for a passport because you've got relatives in another country, birth control. These are the things that they're being charged with and sent to re-education camps. Now, you can go to YouTube and you can search this up. It's been going on for years. And you can hear the horrific stories of survivors that somehow got out and are now telling their story, what it's like inside those camps. Horrific stuff that's going on by the Chinese government. And yet, Major League Baseball, the NBA, the American government itself, maybe others, are supporting China and allowing all that to go on without saying anything, and yet they're going to protest something like a Georgia voter law that was democratically put into place, unlike the Chinese government that just arbitrarily makes things up. 
I have a friend in the medical profession, and he talks about how China will always be at the forefront of manufacturing. Why is that? Here in America, we have rights. The government in China can walk into a manufacturing plant and tell the people, you are no longer working 9 to 5. You are now working 7 to 7. You're now working 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And you have to get this stuff done or else. And they do it. But yet we're concerned with things that are immaterial compared to that. Everyone here has the right to vote. You might have to follow the rules, but you have the right Jim Crow laws made it so that, or at least before Reconstructionism, black people couldn't vote. There was a time women couldn't vote. That all changes. So Jim Crow laws basically would keep people from doing something, the laws would keep people from doing something based on their skin color. In a nutshell, search it up yourself. I challenge you. Don't just take my word for it or anybody else's. Do your own research. I've got a cut here. It's about three minutes long. It's about uh, how this all started with the Reconstruction and through the Jim Crow era. And it's from NBC News. Okay? It's from NBC News. And take a listen to some of the things that they talk about in this because it's, it's quite eye-opening. So here, take a look and listen to this. In the period following the Civil War known as Reconstruction, the United States Congress enacted a series of laws that gave blacks the rights of citizenship, voting, and equal protection under the law. But when blacks tried to claim those rights, Southern whites tried to deny them. In the late 1860s, white supremacist groups began to organize throughout the South. The largest was the Ku Klux Klan. The origins of the KKK are a little bit obscure. It seems to have begun in Tennessee, certainly began among former Confederate soldiers. Initially, it seemed to be given over to pranksterism, but very quickly, the KKK becomes a rubric to describe all sorts of paramilitary and vigilante groups, some small, some large, some politically connected, some relatively ad hoc, uh, that take it as their task to enforce the submission of the now free black population through violent means. The Klan's presence was especially strong in Arkansas, Georgia, Louisiana, and South Carolina, where blacks equaled or outnumbered the white population. The Klan was made up of former Confederate soldiers, some members of the Democratic Party, and those resistant to Congress's plans to reconstruct the South. They were angry that the Republican Party, who held the majority in Congress and were the ones pushing for civil rights for blacks, were forcing these changes by controlling southern state governments against the will of white residents there. Klan members terrorized blacks in church, at the polls, and in schools. They intimidated teachers, forcing them to stop teaching black students. They used threats of violence to keep blacks from leaving plantations. And then the threats became real. They beat, tortured, and even murdered blacks to prevent them from voting and from serving as political leaders. Between 1865 and 1877, the Klan and other related white supremacist groups were responsible for more than 4,000 deaths throughout the South. You might say it's the really the first period of homegrown American terrorism. The Ku Klux Klan was the Al-Qaeda of the 19th century. These acts of terrorism were effective 
Many blacks stayed home from the polls out of fear. As blacks overwhelmingly voted for Republicans, Republican-controlled state governments in the South began to weaken. And this was the beginning of a process that eventually leads to a much more massive white mobilization of vigilante violence, which topple Reconstruction governments through violent means in the middle of the 1870s. In response to the murders and intimidation, President Ulysses S. Grant signed the Ku Klux Klan Act of 1871, a law that directed the federal government to prosecute people who attempted to deny blacks their civil rights. Still, the Klan and other groups continued to grow over the next century. So there you have, in a nutshell, a three-minute piece about Reconstructionism and the KKK, white supremacy, Jim Crow laws. So basically, after the Civil War, you had the North that was in control, basically the GOP, according to that piece, trying to create a free society for black slaves. It included the, the right to vote, citizenship, and equal protection under the law. So, of course, the Southerners, mostly white people, did not want that. So they tried to suppress the black attempt to claim those rights that were being bestowed upon them by the federal government, which was mostly in the North. So then these groups formed, like the KKK and other groups, and they were consistently made up of Confederate soldiers, people from the Democratic Party, according to the piece, and other sympathizers. And so they started out, they called it pranksterism, but as you can see, and as you heard, it quickly went into violence, beatings, killings, intimidation, things like that. And so the GOP held a majority in Congress at the time. They were pushing for these things for blacks' rights, but the Southerners were pushing back. And so the supremacists, they would sit there and they'd terrorize the black community, the free slaves, the ex-slaves now at churches, schools, at the polls, suppressing them. Violence was their tactic. Beat, torture, kill. And so this fear kept the black community from voting. And when blacks were voting for GOP, the GOP and that post-Civil War the voting citizenship and equal protection rights under the law, the amendments. That's what the black community wanted, and that's why they would vote for them. And then all of a sudden, they're being suppressed, and so that stronghold in the South was starting to be softened, and the politics of the Southerners started to take control again, and now you started to get into this big fight over blacks and their, their rights. They were trying to reconstruct the South after the Civil War, giving civil rights to black people. And it was against the will of the white members of the South. And so they would oppress, and then it would lead to laws that said, eventually, you can only eat at this restaurant if you're this skin color, or that restaurant if you're that skin color. You can only drink out of this drinking fountain, or that drinking fountain, depending on the color of your skin. And so the laws then were implemented that would keep and hinder people from doing things based on the color of their skin. And that racism set in, and there was that root of racism that was there, and the laws kept you from doing something if you were a certain skin color, and that's thus the Jim Crow laws. And so when you have people going through that, being tortured, being killed, being murdered, and yet people now today, they want to look at those type of actions and compare it to today and say, this is the new Jim Crow. Are you kidding me right now? That's not doing them justice. 
the people that suffered and went through that so that we can get to where we are today. There's a lot of people that sacrificed. You take a look at Martin Luther King Jr. and what he sacrificed for civil rights and other people that came along and sacrificed for civil rights and what they went through. And you're going to sit there and say that a democratically voted on and installed Georgia ID law is equivalent to Jim Crow? How out of touch of reality are you right now? And then to make comments, if you're Major League Baseball, to say, oh, we got to move the All-Star game to Denver because of that, but you're, you're in bed with China with all their human rights violations that we just heard a little bit ago? I mean, what kind of world are we coming to? It's absolutely crazy to think that this is where we are at. And it continues. There's progress that has been made, but yet we are still dealing with it, and there's a reason for that. Because if you go back to that little piece right there that we just heard, it was outside influences that did not agree with blacks having the right to vote and citizenship and being free and equal protection under the law. And so they did things to make it so that it was difficult for them to go and vote and take part of those things. And eventually they gave up and the ex-slaves, they just couldn't get their freedoms. And so we have this fight against the system that is there trying to oppress and keep them down. So that was Jim Crow. That was the Jim Crow era. And if you look at it and do your research and you compare the two eras, there's no way you can compare today with Jim Crow and the Jim Crow era. And when you go back and you look at the people that suffered under those laws and the people that endured under that torment from the KKK and from white supremacists and from people that actually beat, tortured, and killed them. You can't compare. Their sacrifice that they made and what they went through is far worse than having to stand in line to wait to vote. We voluntarily stand in line at the DMV to get our ID. No problems. We voluntarily stand in line at the concession stand to pay for overpriced hot dogs and popcorn and soda. We stand in line at amusement parks. We stand in line to go through screening with TSA. We stand in line waiting for the person up front to get their suitcase in the overhead bin because the flight attendants no longer want to help because they can't. And so we have to wait in line for that as we get on Delta Airlines and show our ID. And so it goes round and round and you start to think about it and you look at it. And again, the show, I like to present it from logic and reason. It's like, what are we talking about here? We're talking about something just because you can't reach an agenda and there's people out there that are putting in place laws to, to keep you from your agenda, whatever it might be. Maybe it's fraud. Maybe it's trying to keep the election towards your favor. Whatever it is, it's keeping you from your agenda, so you got to cry foul. Remember what Bill Maurer said a couple of weeks ago? He said that now everybody cries racism for everything. You disagree over the color of carpet in the room and you're racist. You disagree over something what somebody says, you're a white supremacist. You disagree over everything or anything, and you're a Nazi. Do you think the people that went through Nazi Germany would sit there and agree with you that the things we're talking about today are actually Nazi, actually racism, actually things that went on in Germany, the execution and extermination of 6 million Jews? But yet we throw those words out there, cavalier, and it does an injustice to the people that suffered sure we have problems we have problems today we need to figure out but how do we solve it here's another clip that i'd like to play it's a clip that i found about a guy and to set the table he is an afro caribbean or afro caribbean so he has black skin 
but not the dark black skin of Africa, because again, he's from the Caribbean. And his hair, not really dreadlocks like Bob Marley, but he's got some, some dreadlocks in the video. Okay. And the reason why I say that is because he's not a white guy. And if you listen carefully to what he has to say about everyday racism, I think it's kind of fascinating and interesting to hear what this Afro Caribbean guy has to say about everyday racism. Everyday racism, what should we do? Racism is a business. For centuries, it has underpinned global economic exploitation. And like any successful business idea, it needs great marketing, PR, and advertising to ensure lasting success. And that marketing affects everyone. Let me give you an example. I remember a few years ago, after having just finished the tour, I was paying in some cash at the bank. We'd done quite well on merchandising. Next to me at the counter, another young Afro-Caribbean male, similarly dressed, was also paying in quite a large sum of money. Surprisingly, my first thought was one of suspicion. Hmm, I wonder what he does for a living. Yes, even though I know that working class young black men do not control the multi-billion dollar drug industry, the connection between people who look like me and drug dealing has been seared into my mind thanks to a lifetime of advertising campaigns like this. These images feed a culture of racial assumptions that produce microaggressions that I'm going to call everyday racism. Now, in the context of global injustice, these might seem trivial, but in fact, these daily hostilities lay the ground for much larger systemic violence. Everyday racism is the normalized experiences that we encounter daily based on our difference from the white norm. Take being stopped and searched by the police at age 12, what would be the first of many times, people shouting nigger or coon from car windows on trips to Romford during my time playing for West Ham as a schoolboy, regularly being asked if I have drugs to sell or to pay up front for black cabs or being sarcastically asked by a tutor when I attended the Royal Institution Mathematics Masterclasses how many of the tribe I was bringing to the family celebration day. I could go on. I've left out the hard stuff. Constantly feeling like a suspect leads to the kind of shame that pathetically makes me take the bass out of my voice or attempt to make myself smaller when I'm in a lift alone with a white woman. In the world of a white and Jesus and Hollywood's white savior motif, the idea that white is right has taken root globally to the degree where skin bleaching has become a multi-billion dollar industry. According to the World Health Organization, 40% of Chinese women bleach their skin and 77% of Nigerian women the world's highest percentage. And it's not just those two countries. Millions of humans literally pouring bleach onto their skin to try and be whiter. Normalized insanity. Of course, this internalization is how effective advertising works. Major brands become etched into your psyche and the system that sells racism is doing a fantastic job. For example, I've visited countless schools and again and again and again seen children of African origin get embarrassed when saying their own foreign sounding names even at schools with predominantly black and Asian pupils. I'm yet to see a child called Tim or Paul laugh in shame as they introduce themselves. Yet racism seems to be one of the only problems that some people, conveniently, believe that we can solve without first analyzing its cause and then plotting its destruction as any concerned doctor would with any other disease. 
We cannot let ourselves be bullied into being silenced for fear of playing the race card. And whilst we must not conflate every act of prejudice with structural white supremacy, we must recognise the relationship between top-down propaganda and the bias that we carry. Fighting prejudice, both in society and within ourselves, is a key part of the search for justice. I like where he sits there and talks about the prejudices versus systemic racism. The the things that we look through, the lens of our eyes from the things that have influenced us, our biases versus racism. And the other analogy there is the doctor analogy. You go to the doctor, they try to figure out what the problem is. They want to plot the destruction of that, the cure, and then they go after it. But here, what are we doing today? What are the leaders doing Turn on any news outlet, read any news article, and all you see is race baiting. All you see is people calling each other names. No one's looking to see what the problem really is. No one's looking to try to plot the destruction of racism. They use it. They use it so that they can contain control. So in that piece, he was talking about the business side of racism. There's a lot of truth there. If you think about it, the marketing the PR, the advertising that goes on. He, as an Afro-Caribbean, Afro-Caribbean guy, is at the bank looking at another Afro-Caribbean guy wondering, hmm, where did he get his money? The irony is the guy, other guy might have been saying the same thing about him. Our biases, the influences that we have. Hollywood. Talked about the Hollywood, the white Hollywood. How many movies do you see that normalize Inner city as crime ridden, normalized inner city drug infested. Do we cry out against that or white suburbia? Why do we do that? Why are those stereotypes there? Why do we allow them to continue? He talks about skin bleaching. I guess Michael Jackson was onto something there, but the millions of dollars that go into skin bleaching, if you're not white, trying to get your skin white. Now, the irony I find in that is recently I, well, I like to go to the beach, but I recently went to the beach and you see people lying out and you got white people laying out in the sun trying to get darker. They want to tan. So apparently darker skinned people want to become white. Whiter skinned people want to become dark. And we all end up with all kinds of issues, skin cancer down the road. But when you look at it, it's the influences. We talk about the influences, the people that are influencing us. And it's a business, the marketing, the PR, the advertising that we get. It shapes the way we view the world. And our first impression is, how did they get their money? There was a guy who used to do security work years ago. And there was a guy I was talking to. And he still does security work. And he was doing security work at a construction site, part of a mall downtown Los Angeles. And some raggedy dude, black guy, showed up. And so as a security guard, this guy went and approached him and said, how can I help you? Very professional, nothing wrong. Treated him just like anybody else, but he had concerns because there was somebody in a place they shouldn't be after hours at a construction site. Well, it turned out the guy owned the facility, owned the property. He was the one having it rebuilt. And he was just a young black guy, dressed every day, no suit, no tie, nothing. And so he would commended the guard for doing his due diligence to find out who he was. Because that's obviously what you're paying him to do is to make sure that nobody is messing with the property after hours, stealing things from a construction site, vandalizing stuff like that. 
And so we start talking to him a little bit more. So why, obviously, you have uh, money. And so why do you dress the way you do and not like the perceived suit tie from, you know, what rich people would, I guess, normally wear if you're a businessman, right? The suit and tie is the stereotype of the businessman. He was just more comfortable. He's more comfortable not wearing a suit and tie. That's just what he wanted to wear as a successful businessman. But our influences, our biases tell us that you should be in a suit and tie. And if not, and you're after hours, maybe there's something going wrong. Something to check out. The skin bleaching again. Why aren't we comfortable in our own skin? Who's preaching that? Before it was keeping up with the Joneses. Now it's keeping up with the Kardashians. But that's the thing. We see what's on television. I know Baywatch was huge overseas, especially in the Asian countries. Everyone wants to, to be like that. They want to see what's on TV and they want to implement that. But also in that piece, he's talking about the system is selling racism. It's the system selling racism. They're profiting off of it. It's a business, he said. And so that's what I find interesting is people are trying to either profit off of it, set agendas off of it, use it as excuses for things to do or not do. And yet we don't want to analyze what's the cause of it. What's causing it? Why not plot the destruction of it and then go after it? And so when we look at it, it's something that's kind of interesting that we... As we approach, I guess you can say, the racism aspect of everyday racism and our own biases. And the other thing, too, he talked about, not everything is racist. We have prejudices, which is different from racism. We all have our own prejudices based on a biasum. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier in baseball and how Red Barber, the play-by-play announcer for the Dodgers at the time, who was from the South, Mississippi, when he was told by Dodger ownership this was going to happen, he had to go check himself. Because he was from the South, and his biases would be, black man playing baseball, you nuts. But he checked his biases, and he just reported professionally on Jackie Robinson, and it changed the way Jackie Robinson was received by the listener, by the fan, by people that were watching baseball. Makes a difference. Charles Barkley the other day said something. He talked about how, well, he made some comments, and the comments, depending on who you are, either went over really well or were highly offensive. But this is what he had to say. Man, I think most white people and black people are great people. I really believe that in my heart. But I think our system is set up where our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are designed to make us not like each other so they can keep their grasp of money and power. There it goes back to money and power. Good people. Doesn't matter the color of your skin. You're good people. Unless your heart is evil. If your heart is evil, what's on your heart is going to come out. So if you have a racist heart, then you're going to be racist towards people. If you have a hateful heart, you're going to be hate, have hate towards people. If you have a loving heart and compassionate heart, that's how you're going to be towards people. But Charles Barkley, they're saying people are good. It's the system that's set up. It's the politicians designing it so they can keep their money, keep their power. They don't want us to like each other because they want to keep their grasp on money and power. How many times have you heard politicians go back a year, go back six months, go back maybe a month? How many times have you heard politicians stand up on TV or in articles somewhere call, call someone racist because they don't believe what we believe? Call them white supremacists. Just throwing out things. 
names without really knowing what they're talking about. That's the system. I saw this thing on, uh, on social media and it was, I guess you call it a meme, but it was a statement that basically said that if you put 100 black ants in a jar, you put 100 red ants in a jar, they coexist fine. Not a single problem. You shake that jar up, ants will attack and attack till the death. So the red ants, not the problem. The black ants, not the problem. What is the problem? Whoever's shaking the jar. And that's what we got to look at. It doesn't matter what color ant we are. It doesn't matter what color person we are, what our skin color is. Variety is great. Each culture, each ethnicity brings something unique to the table, brings something unique to this world, to the global setting, the customs, the traditions. If everybody was from Norway or Sweden, well, we'd all be having Ikea furniture and eating Swedish meatballs and maybe codfish and potatoes. If we're from Ireland, everybody'd be eating potatoes and Irish stew. Or if you're from Italy, maybe a little bit more variety, lasagna, pizza. But after a while, if you eat the same thing over and over, it gets kind of bland. You want something new, right? Something different. We bring it all together. Now look at the variety we have, the choices we have, and it's all good. But then who's shaking the jar trying to cause conflict and strife between you and I? That's the question. So when you go back to the other soundbite, when you're looking for the cause of the problem, it's the system. It's the people trying to shake the jar to make it so that we fight each other and they can can keep control and grasp of their power and their money. Because after all, that's what it's all about. It's all about that. Their power, their money. That's all they care about. I want to play another clip. It has to do with more of the vaccine but it's relevant from the standpoint of what the agenda is all about. Perhaps you've heard it. It was, uh, I guess she was the former CEO of Planned Parenthood recently, and then she left that and did something else. And, but this is what she had to say. I think she's a contributor to some news or organization or something. But this is what she had to say about the vaccine. If you listen closely, see if you can pick up exactly what she means. My main concern is that we're not going to reach herd immunity because of vaccine hesitancy. And I know that's hard for a lot of people to believe who desperately want the vaccine right now. And they're thinking, oh, well, it's just a small percentage of people who are actually anti-vaxxers. And that's true. There is the anti-science, anti-vaxxer contingent. But I think that there are many more people, millions of people who, for whatever reason, have concerns about the vaccine, who just don't know what's in it for them. And we need to make it clear to them that the vaccine is the ticket back back to pre-pandemic life. And the window to do that is really narrowing. I mean, you were mentioning, Chris, about how all these states are reopening. They're reopening at 100%. And we have a very narrow window to tie reopening policy to vaccination status. Because otherwise, if everything is reopened, then what's the carrot going to be? How are we going to incentivize people to actually get the vaccine? So that's why I think the CDC and the Biden administration needs to come out a lot bolder and say, if you're vaccinated, you can do all these things. Here are all these freedoms that you have because otherwise people are going to go out and enjoy these freedoms anyway and i fear a situation of coming into the fall where we never reach herd immunity and then we get hit by the next surge of 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 covid19 in the fall something that we could have prevented if we just got people vaccinated now so her whole agenda 
I know at the end she kind of throws out the fact that, you know, we want to avoid the next surge, but can we really? But let's deal with what we know. So if we get vaccinated, we can go and enjoy all these freedoms. So we have to tie the vaccine to reopen, reopening policies. If we don't tie the vaccine to reopening policies soon, things are going to open up, states are going to open up, and people won't need to get the vaccine. So if everything reopens, how do we incentivize people to get the vaccine? So if you get the vaccine, you can enjoy all these pre-pandemic freedoms. If you don't, you can't. Well, the Constitution says differently, first of all. But that's the whole thing. The agenda of this person is to how can we tie policy to the health of people? They want to force the vaccinations on people and tie it to reopening policy. Now, it's slowly slipping out of hand, and the time for them, in their opinion, is becoming shorter and shorter. The window is becoming smaller and smaller because people don't want to do it because unvaccinated, they're still enjoying the freedoms as they should, as they're right. But here's somebody shaking the jar. Now you've got people going back and forth about the anti-vaxxers and the vaxxers. They're going to fight each other. Yeah, you should get one before we do anything. You should get one before you go on a plane. We need the vaccine passport. We need all this stuff because now we're fighting. Because somebody like her shook that jar. We were all peacefully living life, so to speak. But yeah, now they just agitated everybody with that comment. And the whole key is there, the ticket to pre-pandemic life, make it clear that you tie reopening policies to vaccine status. If you have the vaccine, you can have pre-pandemic freedom. If you don't have the vaccine, you can't have pre-pandemic freedom. Shaking the jar. So why is that? Well, I guess if you investigate, maybe you uh, find the money trail and see what's going on there. I don't know. You have to kind of investigate it, right? But that's the whole point. When you take a look at all this, the influences, the biases, the people that are telling us to do certain things or giving us information, the whole voter Georgia, Georgia voter ID law was misrepresented from the start. The narrative is always something that's different from the facts. And so the news media and people, they'll jump out there with this negative narrative towards something, shaking the jar, and then we all get in a frenzy. And then when we look at it, we realize, oh, they're just trying to keep their grasp of power and money, have us fight each other so that they can get away with it, so the focus isn't on them. So what do we do? And so again, when you look at Charles Barkley and what he had to say, I think it's pretty poignant. Man, I think most white people and black people are great people. I really believe that in my heart. But I think our system is set up where our politicians, whether they're Republicans or Democrats, are designed to make us not like each other so they can keep their grasp of money and power. Would you agree with that? Makes sense. Not everything he says always makes sense, but this makes sense. And when you look at it, and you look at it and observe from logic and reason, and you peel away the narrative, and you look at the reasons why tying vaccines to reopening policy, if you get the vaccine pre-pandemic freedom, if you don't, you don't. Why? Everyday racism, the advertising, the PR, it all has to be successful to keep everyday racism going because it's a business and people profit off of it. They might profit financially or they might profit 
with their grasp of money and power. And then what the influences are upon us, we look at people. So we have to change our influences. We have to change the way we are influenced so that we can change the way we look at people because we're all created equal. There's people out there that want us to be or to think we're created different, but we're all created equal. We have to change the way we view people. And again, it goes back to the heart. What we think on the heart is what we're going to say, do, and act. And that's what we got to change. we got to stop fighting each other in that jar and go after the people that are shaking the jar because they're the problem. They're the one that we need to plot destruction. They're the one that needs the cure because that's the ailment in our lives. And once we figure that out, once we realize that, and then once we realize too that, yes, we have biases as we go through this learning process, we're going to change. Just like Red Barber had to change some things in his thinking from when he was growing up in the South in Mississippi to now there's a black athlete in Major League Baseball. He had to change some thinking. He had to grow mature, realize that maybe some of the things that he learned wasn't necessarily true or right. So as we go through that learning process, there might be some biases, some prejudices, some things said, done that might not really reflect true racism, but just maybe prejudices and biases. But does but do we really go to the race card? Because again, when we really think about the people in the Jim Crow era and what they went through, or the people during the Third Reich, Nazi Germany, the Jews that were exterminated, and other people exterminated, to sit there and fling those words around in such a cavalier manner just to shake a jar and get a reaction... It doesn't do the people that went through that any justice. It doesn't really reflect what they went through, the price they paid, the sacrifice that they laid down trying to fight for equality. And that's what we have to remember. So the next time you're out there and you hear somebody throwing out the racism card, the Nazi card, the white supremacist, and it's in vain, maybe we need to say something. Next time someone throws out Jim Crow laws and it's in vain, If it's correct, maybe that's one thing. If you see KKK today, we call it out because that's what it is. But if somebody says that voter ID laws are racism, Jim Crow laws, is that thrown out there in vain? And should we call them out for that? That's something that you'll have to decide, have to figure for yourself. But again, if we start the grassroots level, because anytime we rely on politicians, they have an agenda, their grasp of power and money. That's all they care about. We have to start the grassroots level, come together in our communities, our neighborhoods, have discussion, have dialogue, talk it out, try to come to an understanding, have compassion, look at it through the eyes of other people, have an openness to accept what's being said, to see if it's actually right, to really fact check, not just fake fact check, but like really deep dive into what's being said. Is that true? What's the sources? The first thing I do is check sources. If I'm looking at a news article, it's like Yahoo. If you go through the Yahoo homepage, they've got news articles and articles on different stories. I can just look and see what the source is to realize if I'm going to read it or not. You'll have some salacious headlines. Oh, Huffington Post. Now, move on. Next thing. Next thing. Something from Fox Opinion. Now, move on. Something from CNN. Now, move on. Because if we were talking Jim Crow laws, and this is a loose interpretation. People like Don Lemon or Don Lemon, whatever he is on CNN, he would be relegated to something like BET and not able to be on CNN. Laws would dictate that that's the only channel he can be on. 
that's equivalent to what Jim, uh, the Jim Crow laws might be. And then for a president to get up there and call him Jim Eagle laws or something, it's just, it's in vain. And it doesn't do the people that suffered through it justice. It's like you go to the cemetery, you go to these concentration camps, you go to the, the Civil War battlefields, or maybe over to Europe or maybe Asia, where the, the fight was brought to the people and soldiers died, and there's a reverence towards it. There's a respect towards what went on there, to the lives that were lost, to the sacrifices that were made. And maybe it's time that we start to look at the Jim Crow era and the Nazi Germany era with respect and with dignity and not just fling out vainly these terminologies just to shake the jar and get the ants fighting. This is Two Steps Head Podcast, highlighting the stuff that's been stepped in so you don't have to. Again, my name is Son Edom. Hey, you can find us on Instagram. My personal Instagram is at Edom Rocks, E-I-D-E-M-R-O-C-K-S. The Instagram for the show is Two Steps Ahead Podcast, T-W-O, Two Steps Ahead Podcast. And you can click the link in the bio of either page, and there's some options in there. There's a swag shop if you want to get some cool merchandise, T-shirts, hats. We've got uh, sweatshirts, hoodies. We've got drinkware, all kinds of cool things, all kinds of sizes, colors, shapes, all kinds of good stuff. So you can just click the swag shop. Uh, we're on all the platforms, and there's some links there to Pandora, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. So you can catch us on your favorite podcast platform. There's also a link to our YouTube channel. We can actually watch videos of the show. We tape the video and put a video out there. And so you can watch the entire video of the show. Uh, also on IGTV, there's a link for that too. And so everything you need to do is just go to either Edom Rocks or TWO, Two Steps Head Podcast on Instagram. Click the link in the bio and select the option of your choice. We're also on RadioWarp.com, live Tuesday nights, 10 p.m. Pacific time, RadioWarp, W-A-R-P.com. Again, there's a link in the bio of Instagram there. Just type in RadioWarp.com. If uh, you forget all that and you don't know what to do, just type in in Google or Yahoo, T-W-O, Two Steps Head Podcast, and we pop up. Hey, Suri, hey, Google, play T-W-O, Two Steps Head Podcast, and we pop up. So that's it. Thanks for joining us. Two Steps Head Podcast, highlighting the stuff that's been stepped in so you don't have to. Take your passion. Make it happen. Let yourself be great. Be kind. And watch out for one another. It's a nasty world out there. We'll see you next time here on Two Steps Ahead Podcast. Again, take your passion. Make it happen. And most of all, let yourself be great.